Hey, it's Sean Fennessy, one of the hosts of the Prestige TV podcast. HBO's Barry is back for a fourth and final season. And that means I'll be back recapping the show with co-creator and star Bill Hader to dive deep on the themes, scenes, and major moments in the series. Bill will provide insight into how every episode was made and why it's ending. New Prestige TV Barry recaps will go live every Sunday night when the episode ends. So make sure you're subscribed to the Prestige TV podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. It is Monday, May 1st. Today's the day. The deadline in the negotiations between the Writers Guild of America and the studios and streamers that employ its members. If there's no deal on a new contract by midnight tonight, all 20,000 or so members of the WGA will go on strike for the first time since 2008. Late night shows will shut down first. New scripted shows can continue shooting as the actors and directors negotiate their own deals. They have a June deadline. But new film and TV projects can't be written or assigned. And if this thing drags on for months, you and I are going to be watching a lot of unscripted shows and repurposed global series. We've talked about the issues in play here, so we won't go too deep. But just to recap, the writers feel the streaming wars and peak TV have left them behind. Fewer episodes of shows, fewer seasons of shows, crappier residuals formulas for streaming than for traditional TV doesn't take into account the success of projects. Studio tactics like mini rooms that minimize writer involvement and prevent them from advancing in their careers. A general lack of consumption data transparency, meaning nobody really knows how much value all these shows are giving to their companies. That's a big one. And it's all combined into a pretty hostile situation. A strike could be disastrous for an industry that is only now emerging from COVID. The last one is said to have cost about $2 billion to the LA economy. The industry, however, is not exactly rolling in money these days. It's been dealing with a market correction, layoffs, and plunging stock prices. It's definitely not an ideal time for this to be happening. But there's kind of never really a right time for a shutdown. That's what we're talking about today with Lucas Shaw from Bloomberg. The writer's strike. If it happens, how we got here, how this will play out, and what needs to happen for it to end. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Lucas Shaw, our Monday guy, and here we are, May 1st, deadline day. Tonight, midnight, the writers either go on strike, they extend the deadline in order to negotiate in, quote, good faith or just for optics sake, or they get a deal. I assume I know where you stand on which choice is going to happen. I mean, you you know it's a big deal because you and I both wrote newsletters about the same subject yesterday, although you know. farmed part of yours out. Uh, Farm, which- please. I have contributors, <laughs> Mr. I didn't go to Vegas. I got someone else to write about CinemaCon. Um, um, 
Yeah, but no, I, I, yes, I think. Sorry, go ahead. I, I think. I mean, it's rare that we both that we do double up like that, and it's a big deal. This is literally like I'm getting texts from people that are haven't been paying attention to this for the past six months, as everyone has been saying. You know, they're probably going to strike. They're probably going to strike. Now here we are. They're probably going to strike, and everyone's freaking out. Yeah, I mean, I I I now know like two or three pretty senior folks in Hollywood who have told me that they didn't think there would be a strike, and almost everyone else thinks there will be and it's a foregone conclusion and the only question is how long it will last is it a short one that's like you know a few weeks is it a few months is it you know the longest strike we we've had in recent memory and that that's the part that's obviously almost impossible to handicap but the all the members of the guild are getting ready to go and pick it and you don't get the sense from anyone that there's they're close to a deal no that's the funny thing is like all the macro elements here are lining up for a strike. We know their positions on these issues. We know that the writers want double-digit gains in residuals, in minimums. We know they want better transparency from the streamers, especially in the studios, on data and who's watching their, sh their shows. We know that they want to eliminate the mini-rooms and some of these things that have kind of work to decrease the overall income level of we writers. Know they want, while, we know they want to be spending more time on set, especially for exactly. kind of up-and-coming writers. Yeah. All of these things are things that the studios absolutely do not want. I mean, they're used to getting away with 3% increases in the last couple negotiations. That would be below inflation if that happened this time. So the macro stuff is all pointing to strike. Yet, unlike in previous negotiations, we're not getting these leaks from inside the room. I mean, so there are outlets out there that are claiming, oh, I talked to so-and-so, and, -so, and they, they haven't. They're really keeping a lid on this stuff pretty well. So we don't actually know where they are in terms of whether there's been any progress made. Yeah. I mean, look, I think we've all spoken to, to maybe one or two people who are in the room, but anybody who says that they have a very clear sense of, of, of what's happening and where the positions are is, is full of crap. And and one of the most interesting dynamics of it to me is, you know, you brought up what the writers want and the studio's not willing to give it, is it also feels like if the writers wanted to, to fight for these things, that like the last, they would have had more leverage the last time they negotiated a deal. Yeah, except for that whole pandemic thing. Right. That is true. I mean, and that's that's one of the reasons why it didn't happen. But the studios are not in a particularly generous mood right now. And they are are kind of... Not other than Warner Brothers Discovery, which is really just relaunching. They're not now trying to stand up new streaming services. They're trying to cut costs at those streaming services and make them more profitable, which is where I think it gets a little tricky for the writers, even if most of the people I talk to at studios acknowledge that the writers are probably getting screwed a little bit. A little bit. I would say more than a little bit. I mean, the entire economics of the content business have changed in the past 15 years. And when you look at the way that writers pay are paid, I mean, we don't have to go through this again, but like the fact that there's no benefit to a writer when they write something that is, is a success on a streaming service, like that sucks. There's really no incentive there. You get the same residuals from Wednesday, the Netflix hit that you do from a one and done show that goes away after five, six episodes. Like, it's kind of ridiculous. And these residuals are what have held the writers over during times when they don't work. And these days, when shows are eight episodes, you know, 10 episodes, there's a lot of time that you're not working. I got to say, I'm, I'm, I, I hear you on the, like, the reward in success and all of that. I find that 
less sympathetic than the the minimums and the like the more basic residual fee structures for reruns and needing to boost those in streaming. I'm way more sympathetic to the fact that you've got a bunch of like young or kind of quote unquote less accomplished writers who can barely, you know, make rent. I'm not worried about like the people who create some big hit show. They're going to be fine, right? You know, you're going to get more work, you're going to make enough money. It's the people who are who like used to be able if they got staffed on a show, like that would float them for at least 5 years. Yeah, now I get that. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking yeah. about writers on hit shows. There's this anecdote that Michael Schulman had in his New Yorker piece this past week about a writer on The Bear which is a huge hit for Hulu and FX. And he went to the Writers Guild Awards this past summer and the guy had a negative bank account and he had to like put a bow tie on his credit card because he couldn't afford it. Like that's the situation that a lot of these writers are in. They are nominally successful on these streaming hits, but they are barely making it. And if you look back to some of these writers on pretty average hit shows in the 90s and 2000s, those writers are still getting floated by residuals because the economic engine, the syndication market, and the foreign sales and all of these things that were factored into these writer deals over decades have gone away because the streamers are paying up front and their residuals formula is so much less. So there's just a fundamental breakdown in the social contract, for lack of a better word, between these studios and their writer employees. And I think that that's why we're seeing this come to a head so much. Because you're right, from the outside, it looks like, hey, peak TV, everybody's working. It's great. And like, for some people, yeah, Shonda Rhimes not complaining. If you're on the studio side, right, there's a couple of types of compromise you can offer. To your point about double-digit increases, you can just give a bunch of money on the minimum salaries for people in the room and increase the residuals that people get paid for streaming, which is basically, you know, normally that's for reruns and streaming. It's sort of, they have to factor in that these shows just sort of live on the platform. Would you give there, or would you make a more structural change, which is providing greater transparency as to what works or what not, or if you're not quite ready to go that far, adjusting the model so that you really are paying in success? Because if I'm who, if I'm the studios or the guilds? Well, either well, I was I was asking if you were the studios, but if because if I oh, were if, if I if were I'm the, the guild, studios, I stay the course. I give them better minimums, increase their residuals, but keep the fundamental structure as it is because the information imbalance and the fact that these streamers hoard all of the information about what is a success on the platform and what isn't that is so valuable and that is forever. That's going in perpetuity. That's not a one-time give. If the studios change the model, that's something that lasts in perpetuity or until the next negotiation or something like that. And that's where, if I'm the writers, I really hone in on that stuff because that's where you really make your mark. That's something that is going to impact generations of writers, potentially. Yeah. See, my... No, I don't think it will happen. I think what you're talking about, the, the minimum increases and all that... I think that the studios will ultimately, whether it's next week or next month or next year, they will just throw more money at them and say, here, kids, be quiet for a little while. That's what will ultimately happen. I wish it didn't happen that way, but I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I, I agree with you that that is the most likely scenario because then it's the easiest one for the people on the Guild Negotiating Committee to point out the win. Figuring out how to restructure how deals work and also like what success looks like in streaming and all of that 
not only does that require a rethinking of the system, but it would require a lot of kind of collective action on the part of the studios to sort of agree on something when they have all benefited from the fact that they now hold a lot more of the cards and they don't have to disclose things. And that gets to the question of how these studios have different positions on the issues. Because what matters to Netflix matters a lot less to some company like NBC Universal, which is a mostly ad-driven company and has television broadcast networks. And what matters to David Zaslav at Warner Discovery matters a lot less to someone like Bob Iger at Disney, where, you know, Zaslav is trying to launch or relaunch a service here in Max, and he's trying to find someone to merge or buy the company. Disney's not in that same situation. So who can least afford a strike amongst these companies? It goes by both size and stability or lack thereof. I think the, the, the company that actually wants to strike the least is Sony, because Sony doesn't have a streaming service. And it's whole, and it, it it doesn't really have a bunch of TV networks. It is more of a pure play studio. Now, the, the they caveat, make stuff for other outlets, the, right? The caveat to this is that Sony Corporation can weather it just fine. So I'll get to the other two in a second. But as a just as a studio, or as a I should say, as a media and entertainment company, I think Sony wants it the least because if they can't produce and sell stuff, their earnings go away. Now, yes, they can clean up the books and maybe it's great and all that, but they don't have well, and other they, business. And they make a lot of stuff on, they make a lot of money on long-term deals like yes. Wheel of Fortune and, and things like that. And then they have the movie studio, which the movie studios are less impacted by this strike unless the Directors Guild and Screen Actors Guild also strike and all production shuts down. That is the nightmare scenario and it would impact the film pipeline. And then we would start seeing delays on blockbusters next summer, the summer after that, and you'd see that impact. Um, I think the ad-driven companies like Paramount Global, I think is very exposed here because CBS is still a huge ad driver for them. And they have an ad tier on Paramount Plus. They have all those cable networks that, while in decline, are pure play ad-driven and, well, subscriber money as well. But they make tons of money on ads. Yeah, I think as... Purely as or as full companies, Paramount and Warner Brothers Discovery are are the the most sensitive. Paramount, as you mentioned, they have a broadcast network. It is what you know they make a lot of money from that, um, and they're just a relatively small company. And so, big disruptions like this hurt them a lot. Warner Brothers Discovery, I say, partially because they're trying to to relaunch this streaming service, and so not being able to develop new things forward and execute on that strategy for a little bit is bad. Um, they, the benefit for them is they don't have a broadcast network. So they're not going to lose a lot of programming right away. Well, and, and I don't know if you believe these rumors, but David Zasloff at Warner Discovery supposedly has been one of the executives that is not that bummed about a strike because he can get rid of some of these onerous overall deals that Warner Brothers Television has signed over the past three to five years that he's looking at now in this changed environment and do thinking, you, why are we paying this guy $100 million? What do you think happens? Do you think there's any world in which they try to to get rid of their deal with J.J. Abrams' company, Bad Robot, as a result of this? That would be a nuclear bomb. Um, I don't <laughs> think that would happen just because they ha they do have some projects with him. And, I, you know, the, Abrams has kind of already been slapped around and just the fact that they were questioning his deal. And we know that, that he's been taking meetings all over town to try to figure out a solution there. But if they cut him loose, that would be a huge, huge deal. Yeah, I mean, the companies that everyone says are sort of 
pro almost pro strike, though I don't really think anyone is pro strike. Warner Brothers Discovery was Aslev for the reasons you mentioned. They get to clean up their books a lot. They have a ton of debt, all that stuff. Netflix, because they have such a big pipeline of shows. And, and global. Just, and, and global. And, and unscripted. And all yeah, the gourmet cheeseburgers that they could just deploy yeah. for months and months and months. And if there's not as much of the original American scripted content, Netflix will be okay, at least in the short term. Those are probably the big two. I mean, Apple and Amazon, it just like is sort of a, a shoulder shrug for them. Amazon's more worried about the labor strife in their warehouse in Tennessee than they are the writers killed. One of the things I've been thinking about, and I wrote about it a little bit in my newsletter on Sunday, is like the last time around, whether this is apocrypha or not, like people sort of held up Peter Chernin and a couple of other people as those who sort of brokered the piece. Right. He was at News Corp at the time. Correct. He was Rupert Murdoch's number two. Like who would be the leader on the studio side to come and ban the studios together? Because even though the, the, you know, they say that they're all, you know, aligned and Carol Lombardini, who's doing the negotiating, has got everyone on the same page. As we just discussed, everyone has different priorities and it's going to require someone to, to make a decision and gather everyone and say, this is the path forward for us. Well, it's sure not going to be Jeff Shell. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, NBC Universal just lost its CEO. I've talked to people about this issue. And yes, during the, you know, the history of labor problems in Hollywood. There have been these figures, whether it's Lou Wasserman or Ken Ziffrin, the entertainment lawyer who has been involved in a lot of these things. Um, Bob Iger was involved in the last one in 2008. Now, Iger could step in here. He has not so far. And I have been told that he's waiting to see if this can be resolved on its own. And if there is a real strike that starts to really hurt Disney, that he would become more involved in this. He's really kind of the only statesman at the studios right now. I mean, you could argue that Ted Sarandos, the content chief or the co-CEO at Netflix has that role, but most of the companies are skeptical of Netflix, if not outright hostile. And the Writers Guild doesn't like Netflix. They had this whole arbitration couple years ago where it was found that Netflix was shortchanging writers and there was a, actually an arbitration ruling against Netflix. So the, that is not someone, Sarandos is not someone that I think could come in with a lot of credibility there. I think it's really tough. I mean, Ziffrin's still around. He's very involved in labor issues. Maybe he gets involved here. He's more aligned with the Directors Guild. And I think we should talk about that because what the other guilds do here could impact how this plays out for the writers. But I don't see a statesman being able to come in and magically say, all right, everybody, we're going to go into this room and we're not coming out until you eat three cheeseburgers and cut a deal. It's weird because you'd think, just if you knew nothing, you'd think it would be a Ted Sarandos, right? He's sort of is a political donor. His wife has been involved in politics, generally like a political guy. His face is on on uh, on bus stops all over the city because of uh, his work with uh, motion picture television. <laughs> I, I don't. That's a charity <laughs> thing. I don't think it's, it's not like a real estate agent. But don't he runs. Sell your show to Netflix uh, half off. He runs the biggest streaming service. They have created sort of the model that a lot of these other companies have copied in terms of kind of keeping the information and how you pay people and all of that. It should be him. But I think you're right that there there is a certain degree of mistrust of Netflix, both among his peer set and on the other side, just because it was Netflix that sort of created this whole, uh, you know, new model and revolution in the first place. So people don't like it. No. And I think that would be a problem. Maybe him and Iger. I know they're friendly or frenemies or whatever they are. But um, I think that's going to be tough. And we're not there yet. I think that only happens 
if there is a strike, if there's something for them to get in. I mean, the last strike in 2007 and 08 lasted 100 days. And I remember, it, you know, it was the kind of thing where the first couple of weeks, picket lines every day, the late night shows go dark, um, everybody freaks out. And then once the new year hit, the late night shows came back. First, Letterman was able to cut a deal because he his company, Worldwide Pants, was not a signatory to the guild. Then the other shows came back to kind of keep their crews working um, without writers. There's some funny YouTube clips of like Conan O'Brien, like spinning his wedding ring on his table and like taking long drinks of water on his show just to show that he was not using writers. But that's when the pain really starts to hit. And that's when those these guys get involved. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. I want to talk a little bit about this argument that you floated a little in your newsletter. I've, I've talked about this before, that regardless of what the other the two sides are saying, that a strike might actually be a good thing for the overall health of the entertainment industry, that this notion of technological and business change over the years kind of requires a big shock to the system for the economics to catch up and the talent to catch up. That's a that's an interesting argument, as painful as it would be, because I think objectively, the system we have now isn't working and is leaving people behind and is ripe for some kind of a huge shakeup. So would the strike be a good thing for that? So if there had not been a pandemic in the last few years, I actually do think that a little strike would be a good thing because you want to reset Wow. System. Please, all unemployed writers, send mike.bloomberg at bloomberg.com to uh, get your, your strike fund. I, I even gave Matt the email in the pre-show and he couldn't remember the email. What are we doing here? Uh, I'm not giving I'm not giving out Mike Bloomberg's personal email on this show. You could probably find it online. But look, no, the, 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 the best case scenario always is that they just negotiate a deal without having to go on strike, right? But I think that that's just that's unlikely because you have these two sides so dug in. The media companies and the streaming services have created a model that even though it's not actually working for them right now financially, um, is, is at least as they see it, better than the alternative. And the writers 
feel that there need to be greater changes than those companies are willing to do. And so if you've had kind of 15 years of development of this, uh, of the, the streaming business, and it's developed in a way that right now, neither side is totally happy with some big, in your words, shock to the system, some way to sort of restructure how this works is not the worst thing if the two sides are willing to be rational and hash out a great deal. But I think my problem is, is that I always assume or hope for greater rationality than there is. And these decisions end up being kind of emotional. Especially with the Writers Guild, there is a long history of emotional reactions. And they replaced their lead negotiator. They, uh, he said he was out for a medical situation. Um, but they now have a new neg lead negotiator in Ellen Stutzman. And from everything I've heard, she's been good. She's had a very measured and kind of focused and less hysterical, emotional, screaming at the other side type demeanor. Um, we'll see if that works because her job is not just to extract concessions from the other side. Her job is to manage her own negotiating committee and to convince them to take whatever deal she thinks is the best offer. And that, according to a lot of people, is the toughest of the of the gig, because a lot of these negotiating committee members are fired up. They ran for election to the board based on their platform of we are going scorched earth. We are going to get what we deserve or we are going to strike and hold these you know, MFers out to dry. We are like we're not going to back down. So her own people could be the, the issue. You brought up the other guilds. Do you feel like the DGA will end up undercutting the writers? That's a good question. The DGA and SAG-AFTRA, the actors, their deal is up in at the end of June, and they're currently negotiating or about to start negotiating. In the past strike in 2008, the directors cut a deal and really was were perceived to have undercut the writers, and that's what led to the end of the writer's strike is the writers felt that they couldn't get more because the directors had folded, essentially. That's a little different this time because the directors let the writers go first. The directors are potentially letting the writers go on strike. And the directors have their own issues. They're big on the transparency issue. They want to see data. They're big on the residuals issue. They want to see better streaming residuals for film and TV. And the actors are there as well. The actors are the biggest guild. So I, I actually, I don't think that the tide here is towards the other guilds undercutting the writers. I, uh, it seems now, like, it's easy for me to say I, that now. If we're, if we're in September and there's a catastrophic all-guild strike and nobody is working and people are losing their homes, that's a different thing. That brings me to, to another question, which is, so the last strike, basically led to this huge boom in reality TV, right? Like there were some popular shows already, Survivor, Big Brother, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, all, all that stuff. But there was this huge, huge surge in reality TV. It feels unlikely that a similar, there'll be similar uh, kind of impact this time just because there's already so much reality TV produced. So is there another genre of programming that you think benefits? Or, yeah, it's called TikTok. Well, okay, that's where I was going. I was, I mean, more, it, I was keeping it, it, it limited. There were no Already, options. Yeah. In 2008, yeah, you could go and vent on Twitter or Facebook, but there were no digital entertainment options. I guess YouTube was the thing, but it wasn't the same as it is now. If there's nothing good to watch on TV, what do you do? You start looking in, at your you know, digital. Sadly, Quibi is not around. <laughs> Quibi should have waited and launched now. 
Well, Quibi um, probably would have been a guild signatory. That's so. true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, sorry. I, I said the Q word. But uh, I, I just feel like it's going to further push people to their digital options. And I don't think it's going to be a huge boon. Maybe a little bit of a spike. Maybe shows get renewed that might not have. Maybe we'll see some revivals of formats that have been dormant for a little while. But I don't see it's not like we're going to get the next Duck Dynasty out of this uh, or Jersey Shore. or You know, there was that heyday of reality in on cable that started with the strike and went through the mid 2010s. I don't think we're going to see that. Yeah. That being said, Netflix says it's got enough shows for the rest of the year. So you can just keep watching Netflix. Well, we're going to see Love is Blind, probably five different versions. So maybe so. I mean, listen, the, the you've never thing, have you never watched you've never watched the French version of The Ultimatum? I have not. You're missing Wh- what out. is that? There are local language versions already of a bunch of Netflix reality shows. The Ultimatum is a Netflix reality. Well, they all do that. Aren't there like 35 uh, 90 Day Fiancés in all different countries? Yeah. I guess they will start feeding format. them to us. I mean, the algorithms will take care of this. This is like you know, the, uh, when the last strike happened, you had to go on your TV and when the shows you like weren't there, that was a problem. But now they can just feed you other stuff. If they don't have a new season of The Night Agent to feed you, they're going to feed you some foreign equivalent that is kind of like The Night Agent, but you just got to watch subtitles. Yeah. Matt, should we just lead this right into a call sheet and make the two of you give a prediction on how long the writer's strike will last? Oh, God. Thanks, Craig. You have to. We Thanks, have Greg. That that's uh that's the like honestly we will do we can do that, but with the caveat that we don't know for sure. So do not email us. <laughs> we don't know at well, all. That's what a prediction <laughs> is. <laughs> I know. Honestly, I have said for a couple months now that I think this is gonna last all summer. That the strike will happen, people will dig in, the other guilds will do what they're gonna do, and then when everybody comes back from the summer. They will say, all right, enough's enough. Let's do a deal. That's very generalized terms there. But if I had to guess, I'd say September. Lucas? Um, I agree, but I'm going to push it back a little bit. I'm going to say October. Wow. You think they'll cancel the Emmys over this? I don't know how that works. Yeah, no award shows. They're all WGA signatories. See, the Emmys are normally in September. Yeah, no, I know. They're they're, they're usually kind of the third week or so. yeah, maybe trying to to broker before the Emmys or, you know, this, you know, I'm going to stick with October. You are. All right. Yeah. You just think that that's the time when the fall season, people will freak out that they're not getting their NCIS com- I, No, Miami. I think you're, I think we agree on sort of how it's going to play out. I just think it'll still take a little bit longer. Like September is when they'll start to be like, oh shit, we have to deal with this. And then it'll take another few weeks for it to be settled. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, and people joke about broadcast TV, but it is still a multi-billion dollar business focused on the fall advertising market. And if there are no new shows and people in Peoria are freaking out because they can't watch FBI Miami or whatever, then that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. There's also late August as a possibility. Maybe this get you know, maybe you have all the moguls meet on a yacht in the middle of the Mediterranean <laughs> and they realize- David Geffen. Geffen is going to come in and resolve the strike on his he yacht. Was, he was at the Laker game on Friday with he was, Jimmy Larry Iver, David. With, no, with no, Larry no. David. Larry, Larry David was there with Ari, and David Geffen was there with Jimmy Iovine, and they. But they happened. Larry David and David Geffen happened to be sitting next to each other. 
that was my understanding of the setup because Ari's got the four seats and Ivy and I think with the other with Albert the producer has the four seats right and yeah. well Ari's wife was sitting next to him let's just put that out there but uh yeah and no. and they were on the other side of Jack and his kids yes all right very important stuff here in the town all right, Lucas, we will hold ourselves to these predictions. Actually, we won't. Uh, we've caveated them enough. I reserve but... the right to re- revise my prediction in a month. All right, me too. I reserve all rights, to be honest. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Matt. All right, that's the show for today. I want to thank Lucas Shaw from Bloomberg for coming on. I want to thank producer Craig Horlbeck and our editor, Jesse Lopez. We will see you later this week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.